Um, well, hey, just to get us rolling and started this morning, have you ever noticed that our world has no shortage of so-called experts, right? You know, TV, uh, media, social media are just filled with these loud voices who are competing to give you and I advice to tell you what to think. Uh, especially this happens when, number one, they're selling something, or number two, when their ego depends on them being the center of attention, right? And these folks often, these loud voices, are often seen as successful people, and many of us see that kind of, at least, trappings of external success, and it's easy to be drawn to these influencers, not, and not just to learn from them, but oftentimes it gets real tempting to copy them or even be a clone of them. And by the way, they're really happy to sell you what you need so that you could do that. <laughs> we have business leaders like uh, Elon Musk or, or Warren Buffett or Jeff Bezos. You've got, um, you've got self-help and advice givers like Tony Robbins and Eckhart Tolle and, and Oprah. We can't leave out Oprah, right? Um, we have popular political commentators, which means by definition that they are controversial. So if I were to mention any of those names, some of you would cheer while some of your blood pressure would go up. So moving right along, um, I can't pretend to know the top names in fashion, like whoever the who's who is in that realm. Uh, is the Kardashians, do they count? Uh, does that? No. Okay, the one person I know that knows is saying no over there, so... I'm not even going to go there. I'm not even going to do it. But, but all these experts in whatever area, these influencers, it seems like they've got it figured out that they're successful. And if we were to want success like them, it's very tempting to try to be just like them. Uh, and their message often is, hey, just do it like I did. Become like me and you too can be successful, healthy, wealthy, and wise. And by the way, it's not just famous people that we're tempted to copy, we can often see the external success of someone in closer proximity to us, maybe a neighbor that lives down the street or a colleague in the same or similar profession, and we see that, we admire it, and oftentimes we want to be like them, and the delicate part of that is that it can be really easy to start to lose sight of who each of us are. To, to lose sight of the unique person God created each of us to be and to expend way more energy trying to be like them, um, spending more energy on that than we spend on just discovering who God designed when he shaped you as an individual. Now, it's really good, I think, to be humble, to learn from other people. It, wise folks know that you want to ask lots of questions and gain understanding. It's helpful. That's important. But I know that you can go to a tipping point where, it's, where you become so absorbed in learning about someone else's life or someone else's ideas that we can miss out on discovering who God created us to be. And this week, um, I was in Wisconsin from Monday to Friday. I was helping out with a pastor retreat led by uh, my home pastor from my home church, David Johnson. Um, and the experience I had at that was really the opposite of being around, you know, experts who are there so you can copy them or become a clone of them. No one at this small retreat was there trying to sell you what you need in order to be a success in ministry or as a pastor. Um, 
And one of the big things that just stood out to me, I just noticed and what I appreciate, instead of like these experienced pastors who were there uh, telling us to do it the way that they did it, um, because they're not trying to get us to be like them, instead, these older, wiser pastors in this situation, they were trying to help us become who God uniquely created each of us to be. And it reminded me, it connected the dots for me of our message from last Sunday. Um, And the phrase would probably be sort of like, you know, they were helping younger leaders embrace new wineskins, these new ways. And and if you weren't here, like we focused on uh, last week, um, we talked about how, how the way God moved in the past will not be the same way that God moves today or in necessarily the future. And the way something is really working great in one place might not fit in other places. And so being with these wiser um, uh, pastors, uh, they wanted to help us, uh, you know, learn to pour fresh new wine, the the fresh life of the Holy Spirit, new wine into new wineskins, new containers. In fact, I just want to read that passage from Luke 5 that we spent the whole message on last week. And, and just to catch you up, if you weren't here, this is Jesus here. He's speaking. What he does, he tells this obscure, weird little parable to help folks who are confused by his methods, by his approach. Because they're confused because, because he wasn't doing it like every other religious leader they'd ever seen all did it. Um, verse 37, Luke 5 Jesus says, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out. The wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And we really covered quite a bit of that last week. If you missed it, I encourage you to check out the the podcast. Um, but, But what Jesus is doing here is he's highlighting this deep truth when it comes to the life of the Spirit of God. See, the the way God moved in the past won't always fit in the containers of the present, the wineskins. So new wine, new life, he's saying, needs new wineskins, new containers. And so for me, when I was at this retreat this week, um, it was really good to be with a bunch of experienced pastors who encouraged the younger, more kind of green, newer pastors to embrace the way that God made them, not to try to copy what works elsewhere or to adopt a strategy that worked for them before, but instead to discover and to be confident in who God was shaping each one of us to be. And that environment that I was in this week reminded me of the culture that we want to keep embracing here at Hope Covenant Church, where we, as we follow Jesus into this new wine being poured out by the Holy Spirit, that we trust God to lead us in ways that might not look like we've done before, the things that we've done before. And so here at Hope, we want to have a posture towards God and towards each other that welcomes whatever new things God is doing amongst us. And again, it's important that it's not just, hey, we're just trying new things to try new things. We want to make sure we're following Jesus into new things, this new wine theme from last week. Um, See, friends, while we do want to learn from experts and, and we want to choose wise people to influence us, What we really want and what we really need to know, 
we, we, we need to know God. We need to know ourselves. And we need to know the battle that we face. Right? We, we, we need to know who God is. And we need to know us, who he's shaping us to be. And we need to know this battle um, or the mission that God is inviting us to engage in, the thing in front of us that he wants us to put our energy into. So this week, um, you know, I'm not supposed to be writing a sermon because I'm on this retreat. (laughs) And so all week I just kind of every now and then thought about, well, um, what what am I supposed to teach this Sunday? And what happened is I kept coming back to this story that's thematically connected to the wineskin idea, but a different kind of metaphor. And this story actually happened a thousand years before this story we've been looking at in our current series on the book of Luke. A thousand years, so a thousand years before Jesus came to earth, Um, One of his most famous ancestors lived, uh, a young warrior who became the second king of Israel. Does anybody know his name? David. That's right, King David. And what I want to look at is the story um, from probably one of the most famous stories early in David's life, long before he was ever king. And what we actually just want to look at is just a part of the story. Um, In the larger story, he fights a, a giant named anyone? Goliath, there we go. So many of you know that story, but by the way, if you don't, um, it's not a problem. I'm going to summarize most of it. And again, it's just this one kind of piece of it that really was sticking with me that I want us to camp around in the rest of the message today. And so here we go. Here's the story. It's this epic story. And at the time that this epic story where we now know as David and Goliath, at that time, um, the nation of Israel had gone to war with their arch enemies, the Philistines. Again, they were always doing battle. And at this time, David is just a a shepherd boy. He's probably at most a teenage kid. He's the youngest of seven sons. And all David's older brothers have gone to the battle, and David gets to stay home and, you know, take care of the sheep, which he's not super happy about. Um, But one day, David's father sends David to bring supplies to all his other brothers. So David does this, and he arrives, and what he finds is that the, the Israelite army is scared to death. They won't fight because the Philistines have sent out their champion, right? A guy named Goliath, Goliath right? And so I think of Goliath. He's kind of like, you know, modern day like Shaq or LeBron, you know. Nicola, Joel, Joker, the Joker, right? Denver Nuggets. Um, you know, Sam or Dalton, if we sat, had you stand right under the basketball hoop, think of like Sam, but as tall as the bottom of that hoop, right? So maybe the bottom of the net, right? That's, that's a big dude, right? Big guy. Now what happened is back then, when two warring tribes would go up against each other, sometimes they go, hey, listen, let's dispense with all the killing of hundreds of each other's soldiers, and instead, let's our top warrior go against your top warrior, and we'll settle this thing one-on-one. If, if our guy wins, then you Israelites become slaves to us Philistines, and vice versa. So the Philistines propose this, but when the army of Israel comes out and sees Goliath, sees Goliath, um, what they actually do is run and hide. Literally, they run, they hide. And this had been going on for 40 days in a row before David arrives on the scene. So David gets there. He 
is this young David. He sees the fear of his countrymen. He, and he can't believe that nobody's going to fight this guy. So he starts asking around. He starts talking tough, you know. And we'll just read uh, the text here from 1 Samuel 17 to kind of catch us up on the story. Um, verse 31, what David said was overheard and reported to King Saul. And Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant, I've been keeping my father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine, which I, by the way, just think that's always the weirdest and funniest, like, insult. Because there's trash talk ever right there. Try that on the basketball court. This Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God and the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion. And the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. There you go. And Saul said to David, okay, go. And the Lord be with you. Pretty convincing pitch, right? I'd be a hard one to resist. Saul says, go and the Lord be with you. And I just want to pause here. And I want to give props to Saul here, right? Because the deal is still on with the Philistines at this point, right? If, if Goliath wins, the Israelites become the Philistines' Slaves, so Saul is taking a huge risk here. Somewhere inside of him, he must have known that this was a God thing. So he knew, he must have had like some inkling that this was a God thing. But he also wants to give David a shot. So he dresses David in what is the best armor in the entire army, actually belonging to Saul himself. Look at verse 38. Kind of a funny scene if you try to picture like, you know, a smaller kid, because Saul, it said, was head and shoulders taller than everyone else as adults, plus he's a kid. So imagine kind of him putting on Saul's armor. Here he goes. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he wasn't used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. And he took his staff, here he is with a stick, his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, there's his weapon, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Approached the Philistine. We'll stop right there. Five smooth stones. Um, and we're going to pause the story, and I encourage you to read the rest of it this, this week on your own. Spoiler alert, David wins the battle, so just if you didn't know. Um, but, but, but I just want to, this is the scene I really want to camp out on here. Just think about this scene. Um, you've got David, who's a boy, in front of the king. And when David offered to fight the giant Goliath, Saul's, King Saul's recommendation was, okay, yeah, go out and face him. But here, use my armor. In other words, do it the way I did it. Do it the way I did it. You know, in, in a, maybe in a church today, it might sound like, do the ministry the way I did the ministry. Here, take my armor. 
Or maybe in your family or marriage, somebody would say, well, let's just, just follow the steps provided by the latest self-help guru. Um, and that's where it really clicked for me when we were looking at the wineskins thing from this last week, that this kind of wineskins thing and this Saul's armor thing, there's a connection there. Because he's saying, hey, hey, listen, I'm a success. Use my armor. Do it just the way that I did it. Like, try that wineskin because we know it works. And so Paul, Saul, Saul puts his best stuff on David, his championship armor. But like, David can't even walk, which is not going to be a good thing when you're going against a big guy in battle. And I just even paused right there and thought, you know, it'd just be really easy. In that moment, David could have said, well, gosh, thanks. Thanks, Saul. Um, I'm going to need this armor. It's going to make me look good at you know, there's some scuffs on it, so it might even look like I've done this kind of thing before. Um, maybe it would strike a little respect or fear in Goliath's heart. He could have thought that. Or, or maybe David could have thought, you know, you know, I, Saul, he knows more than me. He's been at it longer. This looks like a good idea, even though it doesn't fit me. So I'll just do it his way. And David has to do a really bold thing. Um, and he does it respectfully, which I think is important. But, but remember here, Saul is the king. David's a peasant. Saul's this impressive man, stands head and shoulders, taller than everybody else in Israel. And David is just a kid. Saul is a seasoned warrior. David's just a shepherd boy who's never been to a battle in his life. And so David's response there that we read in verse 40 was incredible. Like that he had the guts to say this. He says... And I'll paraphrase here. He says, Saul, Saul, your armor, it's really good. Works really well for you, but it doesn't fit me. And then he went out and found five stones. See, I think when this happened, it shows us that David knew something really important. Three things. He knew God. He knew himself. And he knew his battle. And he definitely had to know who he was. He definitely had to know that he was David. He was not Saul Jr. And he didn't have to be Saul Jr. because he could be David. Because David was pretty special. David is this young man after God's own heart. David who spent hours and hours by himself with God as he watched over sheep. David... He's David, this young man who was secretly anointed as the next king. Because of all that, he was David, afraid of nothing, because he knew who his God is, and he knew who he was. Not Saul Jr., he's David. I think in so many ways, this little episode just flies in the face of our current culture, doesn't it? Like the idea that most of us have been fed is that how do we reach for success in any area? Well, we're going to find a role model, an expert who's found some success in that area, and we're going to copy them. <laughs> in fact, we're so good at this Saul juniorism that one of the ways for someone to sell a lot of books is to outline some formula that they just sell to everybody else. You know, we do it in the business world, we do it in the self-help world, we do it in the world of finance, we do it in the fashion and entertainment world, and it happens all over the Western church world as well. And when I talk about the church, like, don't get me wrong, like, 
There are big and small churches who are doing amazing kingdom of God kind of work that we cheer them on no matter their size, right? And, and there are lots of popular, you know, books and Christian music that can be really helpful for, for, for people's spiritual journey. And personally, like, I listen to tons of podcasts and sermons that help me in my own growth and my own learning. But... But when we get in a flurry to copy the latest hot thing or popular fad, my fear is that oftentimes we can miss out on what God wants to do in our community. Or we copy all this stuff and miss out what God might want to do in our own individual lives. See, see when I was in Bible college, so a long time ago, um, during that time and in my first years of ministry, I used to spend a lot of time, a lot of energy looking at who was the latest and greatest ministry star. And I got a great opportunity to have a close-up look at what lots of really good leaders and pastors do. I got to witness some amazing ministries and things. But maybe the best thing I learned in my first years of ministry was this. Don't try to be somebody else. Be who God called you to be. Don't try to be somebody else. Be who God called you to be. And for me, it got much bigger than that. Because um, even today, I have had oftentimes to remember things like, Doug, just be you. Just be yourself. Like, Don't try to be uh, John Lynch Jr. or Little Dave Johnson or the second coming of Pastor Dwayne. Like, these guys are... They're all my heroes, right? I look up to, I learn, they give me wisdom, but they also tell me, Doug, be you who God created you to be. And, and their message to me and really God's message is, Doug, just be Doug. Because that's what God wants to partner with. And so my goal, just again, this is me, my goal can't be to pastor a church the way, you know, Dave Johnson did or to pastor Hope the way um, Dwayne or previous pastors here did. And, and, um, and beyond that, like I may never become like the speaker or the preacher that I wish I was. And for your sakes, I'm sorry about that. I'll still work on it, but thanks for putting up with me. Um, thank Thank you. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't have churches inviting me as often to come and speak as a guest speaker, which, by the way, is fine because I'd rather be here with my Hope family. Um, I do wish that someday I'd have an opportunity to write a book and maybe travel and speak a little bit, but I may never write a book or travel and speak, and that's okay because I want to be who God called me to be. Doug, plain old Doug. A Doug who knows himself, who knows who God created and shaped me to be, um, who, who knows the battle that God calls me to fight, that, that mission God calls me to engage in, and, and knows the great big God that I serve. And so I want to take this, <laughs> this rock in the metaphor, these five smooth stones. I probably have like one and a half stones, but I'm going to take it. <laughs> Whatever the gifts are that God's put in my hand, and I want to step up and throw it as hard as I possibly can. And as pastor here at Hope, 
I want to I want to do what Pastor Dwayne and and pastors like Dave Johnson and John Lynch have done for me. I I want you to know and be who God called you to be, and then for you to take your gifts, your five smooth stones, to step up and to throw them as hard as you possibly can. And I want us as a church, Hope Covenant, to know and be who God called us to be as a church. To take our five stones, or maybe we got ten, or maybe we just have three, whatever. But we're going to take the stones, whatever God's given us, and put in our hearts. And we're going to step up, and we're going to throw them as hard as we possibly can. Now, for the rest of my time here, I just want to spend a few moments on two different things. I want to reflect on what that might mean to do that. Um, what's that mean for our church family, number one, and the other pieces? What does that mean for us as individuals? So first one again, I'll talk about what I think that part of what that means for us as a church family. Had to cut that way down because I got really long. Um, you know what I like? I already thought it was long. Sorry. It, yeah. <laughs> so church family and then for you um, as an individual. So first, what is knowing ourselves... And combining last week's theme, what does being open to new wineskins mean for us at a church? As a church, what is, what is putting our energies into being who God created us to be instead of trying to wear the armor of another church? What does that look like? And I think, again, we could take, I did take that in lots of different directions. Uh, but what I came back is I just want to think about the one spot, the, the wineskin of being a community that's becoming family, and specifically a multi-generational, multicultural family. Now, even just the gen- let's just take the generation piece for, for now. Um, here's the thing: like any good church consultant would probably say that being a multi-generational church family is not a good growth strategy, right? No consultant would recommend it because. Americans just want what we want. We want to be around people just like us, and so we want to cater to consumers, and people won't come for something like that because you'd have to actually be open to what other preferences are and kind of defer some preferences so that we could become a multi-generational church family. And so a church consultant would go, hey, no, 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 listen. Um, it's not a good strategy. So instead, and they'd give us helpful ideas, a consultant would say, you know, just polish things up a bit, be more professional, do, do really good marketing. You know, you probably, if you want to be a successful growing church, you're going to need to hire a better looking pastor with some fashion sense. Thank you for laughing, a few of you. It was supposed to be a joke. Um, but having a primary focus on just, we're just trying to grow big, Again, that's, I think that's probably fine at other places. I don't speak into that. But for us, I do know that if, that's our primary, if that was our primary focus, that would be like trying to wear Saul's armor. We'd have to spend all of our time focused on that, which means we would have no time to actually love people, and we would have no time to cultivate a multi-generational, multicultural family of grace. See, the wineskin that's being shaped to contain the wine the Spirit is pouring out amongst us of being a grace-based family where anyone can find and follow Jesus. Like, that's the wineskin. And I think it contains some really good 
good wine. And since we do have a sense of who God is calling us to be in this next season, let's keep going down that road instead of trying to wear the armor of another church. Amen? See, let's not waste our energy getting sidetracked on the wineskin that so many churches, especially in the generational piece, split over because of the style of music or, you know, finding programs that fit and cater to me. Let's, let's not get sidetracked with that. Let's spend our time loving the people around us. And I just want to speak for a moment to the older generation. Um, and again, I had so much more, but I'm just going to go with the older generation for a minute here. Older generation, um, our teenagers have a great youth group, fabulous youth pastors, great leadership, but they also need older adults who know their name, who will pray for them by name, who believe in them, who, who give money so they can go to camp and go on mission trips, which, by the way, y'all do that really generously, really well done. But I want to see us go to that next level of getting to know our teens. And by the way, you're going to like try to get to know them and they're going to be, you know what they're going to be? Teenagers, okay? Like <laughs> they might not reply. They might look at you weird or uncomfortable. That's okay. Do it anyway. Do it anyways. See, we have to help the next generation find their armor and not insist on the wineskin of, well, this is the way we've always done it in the past. And that doesn't go just for our youth group and children's ministry. That goes for the, like, the younger staff that God's brought us here. God brought that staff to us. And since the wineskin is for us to become a multi-generational, multicultural, grace-based family where anyone can find and follow Jesus, let's abandon any wineskins that would keep us from moving deeper in that. And let's grow into what God has called us to. See, because it's going to make a difference. Again, older generation, it's going to make a difference. And we may never know the impact that our church family can have on the next generation of kids or teenagers or young adults. And it's okay if we don't know because in the kingdom of God, we still invest in that. We still give sacrificially. We still love unconditionally. We still create lots of room to try new things because we're trusting Jesus to take care of our church family as we follow him. So real practical here. And this is for all the Hope family. It's kind of worded toward our older generation, but this is for every generation here. Will each of you, Hope family, will each of you, no matter your age, no matter your generation, will each of you intentionally look for ways to love and serve the next generation. Or if you're young, the, the older generation. Well, each of us, and you have to do intentionally here, guys, because otherwise we nod and cheer. Will we intentionally look for ways to love and serve the next generation? It might look like you learning the name of a teenager or a child like, ask them their name, right? Ask them their name. And then ask them, if you're really brave, what can you pray for them? And again, they may be like, nah, nah, I don't know, whatever. That's cool. Just be okay with being yourself. <laughs> and then pray for them. Like, look them in the eye, even if they don't give you something to pray for, and say, I will pray for you and be praying for you. And then go find them the next week or two and go, hey, Bill, <laughs> Billy, I am praying for, I'm trying to pick a name of somebody who's not in there, right? So 
I will pray for you. And I've been praying for your school stuff or your parents' stuff. And you have no idea. We have, <clears throat> we have day camp this week. 50 kids, most of them not from here. Some of them have no influence, no knowledge of Jesus at all. And the seed planted might grow and be even <laughs> fertilized, I don't know if that's the right metaphor, by your prayers. Maybe my prayers are fertilizer. But, yeah. <laughs> but we, we have to trust that loving and caring and sowing those seeds are going to make differences in people's lives that we may never, ever know about. The next week after that, our teenagers are going off to camp. They're going to serve at a church and then go to the beach and do that off and on through the week. Will, will you, will some of you pick out some kids or pray for the whole thing or some individuals? Will you be an intercessor over day camp next week or epic youth road trip the week after that? Um, and by the way, I think some of you might be prompted by the Holy Spirit to do this same thing for some of our younger staff too. Because um, they need it, we need it. In fact, I'm just, who of you will commit to learning a name or to praying for our kids, our teenagers, our young adults, our staff? Would you raise your hand if you're with me in this? Man, if we all pray, those who are raising our hands, it's going to make a huge difference, you guys. It's because God is calling us to be a multi-generational family who loves this next generation. And it's important because this generation... <laughs> The enemy would love to continue to destroy this next generation with loneliness, anxiety, hopelessness, broken sexual stories, and isolation. See, we have to remember that the giant that we face is the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. See, our Goliath, you guys, it's not competing with other churches. We're not in competition with other churches. Our battle is with the enemy, and it's serious because he wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's taking out our next generation. And so for us to know as a church what God has called us to, who he, who he is shaping us to be, and to know the battle that we are in, invited to engage in is is so important. And friends, as we get clearer and clearer about who God has called us as a church to be, let's us, let's us, Hope Covenant, take our five stones, let's step up and let's throw them as hard as we possibly can. Amen? Amen. Who's with me? Amen? Amen? Yeah. Friends, again, it's gonna get easy, especially I know this, uh, maybe it's my ADD, maybe it's all the ministry stuff, but it's easy to get distracted because there's all kinds of helpful things that we'll see. Oh, look at that over in another church. Uh, lots of ideas out there to give us shortcuts. My email inbox is filled with them every day. We're gonna have a lot of chances to try on other people's armor as a church. And again, I'm sure that we will learn from what God is doing in other places. So let's do that. Let's be humble enough to learn from other people and ministries out there. But let's still be committed to who God calls us to be as a church. And let's shift now. Let's do that as individuals as well. Let's each of us, second thing, let's each of us be who God calls each of us to be. See, David, he had that one down. Even as a young man, when he stepped into this moment where he was facing Goliath, he knew he had to be himself. 
He couldn't be a Saul or a Saul copycat. Thank God he wasn't trying to copy his fearful brothers or the rest of the so-called warriors who were hiding from Goliath. No, no, no. David was going to be David. And in the story, God is writing with each of our lives. Each of us has to choose how we will go into the mission or the battles that we face. And however we do it, we must choose. You must choose to be who God made you to be and to be yourself. To be yourself. Because the world, it tries to put Saul's armor on every single one of us. It wants, it wants to switch in metaphors. It wants to contain everyone in old wineskins, right? Um, our, our world wants to confine people by saying, well, only men can do this and only women can do that. Um, those are wineskins that are not helpful. Um, or, or the systems of our world really, really, really in our culture want to fit you into a political wineskin, a particular one that you've got to choose and then demand that you support every position and you ignore immoral actions and you repeat lies and you just defend our team no matter what. <laughs> well, that is a trap. It's a trap. Gets us stuck in an old wineskin and we live blind to the truth of what we see and ignore it's an old wineskin people of God we've got to do better than that or think of the the religious systems another one a religious systems when it comes to faith or belief there's a wineskin of religious systems that that insists that in order for you to belong you're going to have to fit into their old wineskin and believe all the right things and align with every point of their theological belief. So whether it's the Calvinists or the Pentecostals or the Universalists or whoever, you better line up with all of this. Get in the wineskin. Or maybe for some of you younger people, that you're being told that you need to fit into Saul's armor and you're just, you just need to do what your parents want you to do with your life. Um, really, for all of us. You need to do what the system of this world demands of you is the wineskin that's constantly being pressed into us. But uh, as J.B. Phillips translates Romans 12, 1 and 2, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. In fact, let's read that truth out loud together Come on, let, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. See, don't let the world around you squeeze you into the, the wineskin or the old wineskin or Saul's armor. See, you don't have to wear Saul's armor. Your five rocks or whatever it is that God has put in your hand and gifted you with, that's enough when God is leading you. It's all you need See, see, God wants you to know who you are, who he made you to be. And he has a design for you to discover and uncover. Friends, you are fearfully and wonderfully and beautifully made by a good father. The more we trust that truth, the more we're going to find the, the, the fullness of living out of who God created you to be. And, and to live out and, and have the impact that he invites you to have in this world. Worship team, will you come? Again, friends, 
You and I, we must choose how we're going to do this. God's created you, wants you to step out into the great adventure of following him to, to know who your God is. And to know ourselves, who's, who he's shaped each of us to be. And for us to know the battle in front of us that he's inviting us to engage in, that battle, that, that mission. To know who God is, to know ourselves, and to know that battle. And because David had done that, he was ready for Goliath. And again, just read the rest of that story, 1 Samuel 17, sometime this week. And as you do, I, I hope it will remind you that whatever God places in front of you and whatever your journey of where God is calling you to follow Jesus, we need to know God, we need to know ourselves, and we need to know the battle. We need to know what the enemy is up to in the battle. And then, with all of that there, be who God called you to be. Take your five smooth stones, whatever God has given you, and you step up and you throw them as hard as you possibly can. I want to just take a moment here before we sing. Let me question on the screen. Just take this moment to reflect and talk to Jesus about even just those three things. How clear are you on who God is? Second, how clear are you on who God designed you, wired you to be? And the third, how clear are you on what God has put in your hand, right? Those five smooth stones, whatever it is that he's given you so that you can do what he's called you to do. How clear are you on what that is? Just take a moment here. Just reflect. Talk to Jesus about that. And I'm going to pray a short prayer and we're going to stand and sing together. journey together as a church family, we would be the kind of family that helps one another find the armor that you've given us, find the ways that you have gifted and wired us, that we would be on this journey as a church, yes, but together encouraging one another as well. Would you reveal and help your people to help one another? see how you've designed us to recognize maybe even the things in our hand that we're overlooking and don't even think matter God that we would help each other in that but God most of all would you speak to us or remind us who you've designed us to be or tell us for the very first time would you help us to see the gifts that you've given us the skills you've given us the passions that you've given us and help us know how we can put those things to work in partnering with you in the things you're calling us to do God, as we sing, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would move in our hearts. There's a lot of this we might not be sure what it means, but God, we just want to be open 